3: Hello, my dark darlings. I'm Markeia, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. Did you know that Something Scary is mainly written, produced, animated, and hosted, of course, by women? People are surprised when they learn that, because in horror, that's not often the case. So in honor of Women's History Month, I wanted to give a shout out to Janine, Sarah, Mari, Irma, Sapphire, and Gail, and all the female pioneers in this space who came before us. Keep on doing your great work and building a community of fierce females in horror. More people are scared of bugs than they are afraid of becoming the victim of crimes, or even dying. These people suffer from entomophobia, the fear of insects. And when you think about crawlers that are small enough to burrow into the crevices of your skin, winged bugs that can attack from above, and billions of cockroaches— that can survive a nuclear apocalypse, maybe we should all be scared to death of an insect invasion. First, killer growing pains, followed by death lurks from above. Then, art imitates murder. Finally, in our featured story, dying from the inside out. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week, and of those, the scariest ones make it into our podcast along with the story that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com snarl. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarl.com. If you'd like to support Something Scary, then consider joining our Patreon. As a patron, not only can you help the show and see ad-free episodes, you can also be a part of the horror and hear your name featured in one of our podcasts or weekly video stories. Visit patreon.com snarl. So, want to hear something scary? Insect Invasion By the time a true tragedy puts your own day-to-day problems into perspective, the damage has already been done. Like in this story written by Janine Pipe. Kazia looked at her reflection yet again, somehow hoping the pimple had disappeared. But no such luck. There it was, red, angry, and huge. She wasn't particularly vain, and she knew all teens had blemishes. But this was an eyesore, and it hurt. It seemed to have appeared overnight. No usual telltale tingling so she could zap it with tea tree oil. And of course, it was right on her neck. She'd tried caking it in concealer, but after that failed, had chosen to wear a turtleneck. In June, still, at least she was just meeting her BFF for ice cream and not in school. In the end, she'd come home early. The high neck shirt was making her itchy and sweaty, and the area around the pimple was aching. When she peeled the shirt off, her neck was bright red like she'd had an allergic reaction. She took a long, cool shower, which helped a little, and by then, her mom was home from work. Kazia was still wrapped in a towel when a head popped around the bedroom door. Hey Kezia, I brought noodles home for... What is that? Her mom rushed over to look at her, gently examining her neck. Did you go swimming in the lake by any chance? Kazia nodded. Now that she came to think of it, the spot had appeared after she'd been in the water. I think something nasty might have bitten you. Let me get some ointment. Luckily for Kazia, her mom owned all manner of medicines and creams, and soon the infected area was feeling cooler and less achy. But she did feel incredibly tired. Her mom suggested she get some rest and she would reevaluate in the morning. If it still looked dodgy, then she'd take her to urgent care. That night, Kazia tossed and turned. She ran a low fever and thrashed in the tangled sheets, cold sweat covering her body. She felt like she was burning up, and the heat radiating from her neck was almost too much to bear. She tried calling out to her mom, but found she couldn't speak. Unbelievably, the thing on her neck seemed to have grown, and she could sense it pulsing, praying it wasn't. Some kind of a deadly poison, and that her body was fighting the infection, she lay flat on her back, the only position that didn't affect the growth. Just as daylight started to seep through the blinds, she jerked awake. She hadn't been in a deep sleep, more of a doze caused by exhaustion. She felt disoriented for a moment, and then the real pain began. Until then, her neck had been uncomfortable achy and sore now she writhed in agony as the pimple the size of a golf ball began to vibrate somehow she managed to crawl into the bathroom and pull herself up using the sink so she could see into the mirror her eyes widened in horror as she looked at the bite she could see something moving inside it as if trying to push out the skin was undulating, reminding her of a minuscule version of her aunt's stomach when she was pregnant with Kazia's twin cousins. They would push their limbs, and you could see her aunt's stomach moving. Gripping the sink in pain and horror, Kazia watched as the spot burst open. It took all her strength not to pass out from shock. She felt the vomit rise in her throat as tiny creatures with bulbous bodies and too many legs began to crawl out of their birthing pod, the birthing pod that had been attached within her own body. As tiny insects, blood and pus poured from the now gaping wound, Kazia's mind finally shut down and she fell to the floor unconscious as the insects continued to exit their host. They knew what to do, scurrying off and out into the neighborhood, all except a couple who waited, sensing another human in the house who would make a perfect host. Her mom found her there an hour later and quickly called 911. She didn't even feel the quick nip on her leg. Kazia recovered, Physically, at least. The doctors couldn't give any reasonable explanation as to why she refused to communicate as she just lay there, staring into space. Her mom was so caught up in worry that she barely noticed the lump growing on the back of her own leg. She absentmindedly scratched at it as it began to pulse, more of the creatures ready to be born. The hospital was full of new hosts, and soon the tiny alien insect-like creatures would be in their millions. Then they could begin their domination, eating their way through food supplies and destroying humanity, leaving behind mere husks of the humans who managed to survive. Thank you so much, Janine, for writing this story for us. Listener, have you gone to extreme lengths to cover up something embarrassing on your body? Ever feel like your body just was not your own? And that bump you're scratching at, how sure are you that it's just a bump and not something else?
0: You can live out your master chef dreams.
3: Deep in the mountains of West Virginia, a cryptid was discovered. Few have seen it. Even fewer have lived to tell about it. Like in this story inspired by Elijah. Thank you to our Patreon member, Jill, whose name we're using in this story. Deep D rushed to the side of her best friend, Jill, as she lay in the hospital after a horrific car accident. Her body was in a full cast, so many bones had been broken. As Deep Tea sat next to her friend, listening to the doctors talk about how slim Jill's chances of survival were and how unlikely it would be for her to awake from the coma, she couldn't imagine what could have caused the crash. Investigators stopped by to see if there was any chance to speak with her, and that's when Deep T learned that her friend had been driving down the mountain when she swerved off the side of the road into an embankment. The curious part was that on top of the roof of the car were large claw marks stretching down to the driver's side. The officers assumed it was a large mountain lion or bear. But those animals would have let go of the vehicle as it started to plummet. Whatever this was... It had hung on until the crash and then punched through Jill's window and clawed at her throat. She had been saved since the car was on its side, and during the struggle, her seatbelt ripped. She fell under the car and the creature couldn't reach her, but had banged her head very badly. tea needed to check on Jill's cat. The place was a mess, dirty dishes piled up and bits of paper with scribbles all over the counter. She picked one up and gasped, car crash, car crash, car crash. The words were written over and over, along with some really freaky looking birdman type creature. How had Jill known she was going to crash, thought Deep Tea. What was drawing meant to be? She quickly fed the cat and left. Still curious, she had to look for herself. As she approached the area where the accident had occurred, she shivered. The caution tape was still up and the barricade was missing. She drove very slow, barely going 10 miles per hour, when she heard something. Something above her. It didn't sound like an aircraft so she turned off the radio to hear better. It sounded like an enormous bird flapping its wings, but that was surely impossible. Giant winged creatures died out with the dinosaurs. tea pulled over to get a better look. As soon as she parked, the noise grew louder and closer until she felt a jolt on top of her car, then a release as if it had flown away. Deepti rolled down her window to see what was happening, but her line of sight was limited. Again, the flying thing swooped down, hitting her car, this time toward the edge before fleeing. This time, Deepti hit her head and knew that this creature wasn't going to stop. She needed to leave right away. She tried to start the car and in her panic, flooded the engine flashes of the claw marks all over Jill's body came to mind, and instinctively, Deepti unhooked her seatbelt. This time, the creature knocked the car over the edge where it dangled, ready to tip over at any moment. Deepti rolled down the passenger window and threw herself out of it just in time before her car took a nosedive several hundreds of feet below. As she leaned over to see the crash, She felt some relief. She had made it out of the car alive. But then, from behind her came panting. Claws scraped against the asphalt, intentionally gaining her attention. Despite her terror, she slowly turned around to see what was behind her. And there it stood. Eight feet tall. Huge, leathery wings like a bat, stretching ten feet wide. A roten-like face with sharp fangs, glowing red eyes with no soul. It was the Mothman. Dee stared in disbelief, focusing in horror on its talons, sharp as swords, scraping on the ground, sharpening themselves for what awaited. Of course, living near Point Pleasant, she knew the stories. Her grandparents had spoken of the fear in the 60s when the mysterious creature, the Mothman, had been sighted and blamed for a bridge collapsing, resulting in the tragic deaths of 46 people. She had never believed it. It was just a cautionary tale, a money spinner for tourists. The winged beast was said to have appeared to many locals over the decades and either blamed for causing catastrophe or predicting future catastrophe. Whenever sighted, tragedy was almost certain to follow. The Mothman was a harbinger of death and doom. Tea attempted to run, managing just three steps before the creature caught her. One lethal talon struck right through her torso, pinning her onto the ground. Blood began pouring out of her mouth instantly. She struggled to breathe. Her lungs severed. The monster, its face inches from her face, began to sniff her, as if getting high from her death in fear. Once it had had enough, it began gnawing away at her face, ripping at the skin like a dog playing with its food. But the more she squirmed, the bigger the bites, and before long, her head was ripped off and swallowed whole. The Mothman didn't waste a thing, and once it finished the meal, flapped his wings, and was gone. Having been denied its meal of her friend, the Mothman had made do with what had been offered. The mountain entrance was eventually sealed off, but only after the lives of six more drivers had been taken. No one knew the true cause, since no one lived to tell the tale of Talon Ridge, However, locals suspected it was the work of West Virginia's most infamous and elusive cryptid resident. The Mothman was back. Thank you so much, Alasha, for inspiring this Mothman tale for us. Would you have been brave enough to investigate what happened to your friend? Is brave the right word that I should be using there? How would you protect yourself from such a creature? Have you ever spotted anything supernatural? Maybe a cryptid that you've only read about on the internet until you saw it in real life? Tell us about it at somethingscaryatsnarled.com
2: But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.
1: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs
3: it is said that people hide behind their art but sometimes their sins are too big to disguise like in this story inspired by winter Barnett and his family decided to spend the day at the Contemporary Art Museum during spring break as a way to pass the time the museum had received some bad press after an attempted burglary a few weeks prior Security footage showed someone breaking in, but never leaving. The night guard claimed he hadn't seen a thing. Due to the negative media attention, tickets were cheap and perfect for a spontaneous stay out. When they entered, Barnett walked right up to the security guard he'd seen on the news and jokingly asked if they ever found the guy. By the look on the guard's face, no, they had not. And no... He didn't find the question amusing. Talk about a guy who took his job a little too seriously, Barnett thought. The family began the tour that led through a room full of artifacts and pottery from centuries past. All of this seemed a little boring to Barnett, so he convinced his sister Tilly to sneak away from the group. They found themselves in rooms that felt like they had moving walls and ceilings, rooms that simulated the inside of a kaleidoscope. They kept roaming through the exhibits, each more exciting than the next. But as they approached the fourth room on their journey, a terrible smell filled the air. Now it was an immersive gallery with paint all over the walls, so they thought it must be from the fumes, but the deeper they got into the room, the more ghastly the odor became, pungent even, They rushed to the hallway for reprieve, but it only got stronger. The fifth room, straight ahead, appeared to be the epicenter of the stench, so they peeked in. But it was just a bunch of sculptures from the Hellenistic era. How could stone make a smell like that? At a quick pace, with their shirts covering their noses, they began walking past each sculpture depicting Greek gods and goddesses. But nothing seemed out of the ordinary until they saw a curtain in the back corner. It draped from the ceiling to the floor, but there was a human silhouette behind it. They looked at each other and slowly walked toward it, wondering what they would uncover. Tilly's heart began to pound. This detour was no longer a fun adventure. She just wanted to find their parents. She tugged at Barnett's shoulder to leave just as he pulled back the curtain, and there it was, just another statue of a man sitting on a stone with his head in his hands, as if contemplating. But as they were about to leave, Barnett looked down at the temporary placard at the sitting man's feet. It read, "'A pensive man does no stolen deeds.'" What a weird title, they thought. They were about to leave when something else caught Barnett's attention. Movement on the head of the stone man. He peered closer and noticed some maggots crawling across the stone, across the floor. The siblings jumped back in terror, squealing. Within seconds, their parents, along with other guests and employees, surrounded the sitting man. The manager cut her way through the crowd, looking at the drapery that was clearly not meant to be there. Once she pulled back the veil, she gagged in horror. After collecting herself, she reached to touch the statue's shoulder and the entire body fell to the floor, causing the faux statue's mouth to open and thousands of maggots to crawl from every orifice. It was clear this was not an exhibit but a decomposing body disguised as stone art. Maggots covered the manager's shoes and began spilling out into the crowd faster than they could run away. The room panicked and rushed toward the exit signs. Some people were sick, one fainted. And just as Barnett was trying to flee, he ran straight into the security guard from the news. In an ominous and knowing voice, the security guard glared at him and said, "Oh." Look at that. Looks like we found him after all. The guard's sinister smirk calls Barnett and his sister to exit even faster. They swore to never return. Meanwhile, all across the country, visitors to museums and galleries were noticing new and unusual exhibits popping up statues and artwork that smelled terrible and seemed to move. There was a serial killer on the loose, leaving bodies in various stages of decomposition, dressing them up as art all over the United States. So far, this person, our group of people, have never been caught, and no one can fathom how they are entering the buildings unseen. Next time you visit one of these places, keep a close eye out for maggots. Thank you so much, Winter, for inspiring this scary story of museums and art exhibits. It does remind me, I don't know if anybody that is listening, but there was an exhibit of actual bodies that did tour around America. There's a lot involved with how those bodies were collected that I'm not going to get into right now. But it was actual human bodies, and there was an exhibit that traveled around. This story definitely brought that back to mind. Have you ever seen a statue that you thought looked too real to be fake? How would you hide a dead body if you really had to? Does this story make you see museums in a different light? One way to survive high school is to keep your head down and blend in. But going along with the crowd could be the thing that kills you. My dad's job as a health inspector means we have to relocate a lot as he gets contracted to different cities across the country. Making friends at a new high school is always rough, but this time seemed to be different. Border High should have been called Boring High. It's so dull. The buildings are dingy, the classrooms small, and the students bland. Something is slightly off about everyone there. No standout personalities, and even the teachers all look the same, worn out and gray. Weirdly, in every class I attended, there were cockroaches scurrying across the floor and creeping out of the cracks in the walls. I even saw one on someone's desk, and they didn't even flinch. It was gross. Maybe my dad should have been inspecting the school rather than the local cereal plant. Then at lunch, I met Uma. Everything about her was vibrant, from her hair to her bright, eye-catching clothing. She's also new to school like me. Finally, someone with a sense of humor and some style. She isn't bland like everyone else. At least, she wasn't then. We compared schedules and found we had the exact same afternoon classes. We instantly bonded and hung out all weekend. I was super glad to have a new friend, especially since dad always seemed really stressed at work. The job proving far more complicated than he had first imagined. I waved when I saw Uma in the halls Monday morning, but she seemed different, sluggish. Her usual rainbow tie-dye style had faded and she appeared dull, and gray, like old dishwater. I looked for her at lunch, but she wasn't there. Nor was she in any of our afternoon classes. When I asked a teacher, they gave me some cryptic reply that Uma was just fine, not to worry, and that soon I would understand. What the heck did that mean? I went to bed that night, still concerned that something had happened to her. She hadn't replied to any of my texts. After tossing and turning for hours, I was startled by a tapping sound. I sat up as my bedroom door creaked open. It was Uma, somehow in my house. Uma crawled in, all jerking and twitching as she moved. I watched, paralyzed with fear, as she crawled up the wall like a spider and peered down at me from the ceiling. She was struggling to speak, her lips pursed closed. She moaned, and then, finally, her lips tore apart and hundreds of cockroaches poured out. They fell directly onto me, covering every inch of my body in the bed. I could feel them burrowing around my mouth and nose, trying to get in. Then, as quickly as she'd appeared, Uma was pulled out of the room, the door slamming shut behind her. I jumped up, arms flailing, desperately trying to get the bugs off of me. I could feel them crawling around my neck and chest. I wailed, and then suddenly, I felt a shift in the room. I bolted upright, still in bed, and opened my eyes. Nothing. I leapt out of the twisted sheets, patting myself. There were no cockroaches. I opened the door to the hallway and there was nothing. It must've been a nightmare. My breathing began to return to normal, but it had been a traumatic experience. The next morning, I felt exhausted and my head ached. I felt sluggish walking to school, not like the flu, but more like fatigue. The closer I got to the building, the worse I felt. During the first period, I looked down at my hands, and they seemed to have lost their color, faded the same way Uma's had. I realized I was blending in, starting to look like everyone else all around me. Somehow, just like them, I was fading, losing my sense of self. There was a scratching in my throat, like when you swallow a potato chip you didn't chew enough. I started coughing, choking, until something came loose and there it was in front of me, in a pool of spittle, a cockroach. I stifled a scream, not sure if I was more repulsed by the critter or confused as to what was happening. I felt my cell vibrate in my pocket. It was a text from my dad, the man who barely knew how to use his phone, so it must be important. Come home now. The plant has been shut down. It's infested. The bugs aren't, They aren't normal. We need to leave immediately. I focused as best I could. My vision was blurry. They aren't normal. There was something wrong with the roaches. I would learn later, my dad had found high levels of an unknown substance in the cereal caused by the bug infestation. And before he knew it, specialist government agents had turned up and put the plant on lockdown. He was allowed to leave, but the other workers were quarantined. He overheard one of the agents muttering about Area 51. The roaches in our school had come from the plant. My dad's plant brought in with the food supply. They had infested the school. They had contaminated the students and faculty, including Uma. And now they had invaded me and turned my world to gray. I desperately wanted to get up, to leave But I can't. I just don't have the energy. Besides, now I am one of them. Destined to always be part of this dull, boring, and colorless existence. Part of the intrusion. But soon, you'll understand. We are just the start. That plant delivers cereal the world over. The agents can't stop us all. This week's podcast stories were edited by Markia McCarty, Sarah Lukasiewicz, and Janine Pipe. Narration by Markia McCarty. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Additional audio editing by Calvin Linderman. Art and graphics by Mari Carlson. Produced by Hannah Mullen and Markia McCarty. Executive producer, Gail Gilman. Music by Sapphire Sandalo and Calvin Linderman. If you'd like to support Something Scary and all the work we do... Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash snarl. And if you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. Until next time, my dark darlings. Sweet
2: dreams.